You are listening to the Canadian Bar Association National Magazine. Hello, I'm Yves Figui, the Editor-in-Chief of CBA National Magazine. Welcome to After the Pandemic, a conversation about the future of justice produced with the support of CBA Futures. For this sixth and final episode of our series, I have two special guests. The first is the Federal Justice Minister and Attorney General of Canada, David Lametti, who also chairs the Action Committee on Court Operations in response to COVID-19. He chairs this committee with the Chief Justice of Canada, Richard Wagner. Thank you for joining us, Minister Lametti. Thank you for having me. I'm also pleased to have with us CBA President Vivine Simon, who is also the chair of the CBA Task Force on Justice Issues Arising from COVID-19. That task force will be making recommendations later uh, this year, I believe, for improving the justice system post-pandemic. It's great to have you with us today, Vivine Simon. Thank you for coming. Thank you very much for having me, Eve. Mr. Lamedi, let me start with you. First, uh, I'm hoping to get your impressions from your perspective on how the justice system in Canada has managed through this difficult time. And uh, has it had any impact uh, on your views on what to do and how to tackle the system's shortcomings, Uh, not just in the short term, but in the long term as well? That's a good question. Look, I think I think the systems handled it reasonably well. Obviously, the administration of justice is generally provincial across Canada, so depending on the province, but generally provincial court systems, also the superior courts in every in every province, the courts of appeal, which are which are, are generally administered by the provinces, and then the ter- then the territories. We, of course, at the federal level, have the federal uh, court system, the Supreme Court, and uh, the various branches of the federal court. I, I think generally they've handled it reasonably well. There have been slowdowns, something ranging from shutdowns temporarily to slowdowns. Uh, most of the systems are are now have now uh, come back to some semblance of volume. It, it isn't necessarily what it was before the pandemic hit, but they are all up and running again. And so I think I think they've done a reasonably good job. Judges have have, have shown a remarkable degree of flexibility, and so have uh, the participants in the system. There are a number of lessons that we can learn and learn moving forward in, in terms of identifying gaps that we have, uh, physical structural gaps in the system, technology, for example, and the ability to, to do certain kinds of procedures at a distance has become much more important. Hopefully, we'll be in a better place with better, better more pointed kinds of investments uh, to allow that kind of distance uh, to happen where it doesn't have a negative impact on any of the parties. Uh, and in and in particular participants in the criminal justice system, we wouldn't want to see their 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 rights being impeded upon. The other thing that that helps with respect to technology and digitization is just the idea that we can we can actually do more things digitally, uh, keep better records digitally, keep get better data digitally. That weakness is glaring in some places, worse than others. And I think for me as a federal minister of justice, uh, that kind of imperative becomes very important moving forward to try to make sure that we uh, help provide the resources uh, to allow for uh, better record keeping, better digital record keeping, so that we we have a better and more efficient system. We'll get to uh, digitalization perhaps a little bit later, but uh, I'd like to ask Vivine Salmon, the pandemic obviously has jolted parts of the legal industry into action and not just the criminal justice system. It's forced us to rethink how our 
system of justice works. Again, post-pandemic, what do you think needs to happen to perhaps meaningfully fix access to justice and ensure that the system becomes fairer for everyone? One, it's recognizing that there is a challenge. And I think that has been recognized now um, more than ever. It's shown what some of the gaps in the system are and what and some of the challenges that we have both at the court administration level that we've heard and also at different levels of courts across the country. But what it's also shown us as well is that it's really important for all stakeholders in the justice system to work together. And that's why I think the CBA task force is very important, as well as the Action Committee on Court Operations in terms of working together with other stakeholders, looking at the the access issues, access to justice issues, the backlogs, understanding that within the whole system, um, when there are backlogs, when the average person cannot access the system, that there are problems expound, they they snowball, it, it leads to all these other problems within our society. So I think that's primarily to situate it in terms of a framework. I think that's important to understand in terms of how we discuss this issue today. But I also think working together is very important to look at the backlogs in the system, um, looking at investments in, in the justice system as a whole, technology and specifically, we know there's challenges with our remote communities in terms of accessing technology and understanding that this is all linked to ensuring that we have open courts and that we have a democratic system that the average person and people across Canada can believe in and feel that they can access justice and justice will be not only seen to be done, but will be done. Minister Lametti, uh, you know, I think everybody agrees that we need to embrace technology in our courts to make justice available to more people. How difficult of a challenge is that? And and why why have, you know, I, I realize that it's a, an area of provincial jurisdiction for much of administration of justice, but why, how, why is it so difficult for us to get our heads around this in Canada? Well, uh, first of all, let, let me, Eve, let me just circle back to what Vivian just said. I, I, I agree with every single word uh, that she said, and I, and I would amplify it uh, times 10. Uh, the, the need to cooperate, uh, the need for the, the federal government to be working with provincial governments, uh, all of us to be working with court administrators, justices, chief justices, with, with stakeholders, key stakeholders like the CBA, and other groups is absolutely critical as we move forward. And any kind of change that we make or propose to make has to be uh, has to be done in a proper, uh, consultative, cooperative fashion. So, and, and I thank I thank her for her implication or leadership in that regard. We're obviously looking very closely and working. We'll be working very closely with the CBA task force on the action committee as well as as well as as an elected politician uh, and, and minister of justice. Um, Back to your question, the, it is complicated, and it's in part because it's a provincial system, a provincially administered system, and and so we've got uh, three territories and and ten provinces. In part because it's a big country, in part, um, and you know, going back to my old hat when I was parliamentary secretary to the innovation minister, in part because we need better infrastructure for telecommunications. Um, you don't have to go very far outside of a big city. To begin to lose your your either your cell phone or your internet access, and think about it in 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 regions uh, in this country in the north uh, and in, and in other uh, rural uh, regions in a, in what is a relatively sparsely populated country, 
that covers a lot of geography. So part of it is the telecom infrastructure itself, which is quite frankly, look, I'll be honest, quite frankly, inadequate. A, a, a jurisdiction like Nunavut has to deal with distance uh, proceedings all the time. And it, it's tough uh, because of the, the nature of, of their connectivity. It, and then, it, and then it's just the, the different the different amounts of uh, I suppose resources that are dedicated because provinces are different sizes and they have different densities and you get a varying level of you know the way records are kept for example and so we need we we found that out with you know with when we were when we passed our our uh, legislation to to uh, pardon uh, cannabis offenses uh, simple possession of cannabis. The, the way in which uh, the pardons are done are going to differ uh, in every single place because the, the procedures are different. So it's, it's complex. I think it has become glaringly clear to uh, me as the federal justice minister that the federal government has to take a leadership role and invest in, in resources to help, uh, really to help standardize and, and bring up the standard of the way records are kept and the way digitization generally uh, documents and that sort of thing in the court system have to help really help bring everyone up to the, the same and the very highest standard. Over the years, there have been repeated calls, uh, including from the CBA, obviously, uh, for significant increases to justice funding to put more money into the court system, also to definitely invest more in legal aid. Indeed, according to justice figures, uh, somewhere near 600,000 legal aid applications, I think, were received in 2017, 2018, about Four to five of them were approved for full service. It is a question of meeting the thresholds, which are still quite low in terms of revenue. I, I mentioned that just simply to state that there's clearly a demand for the service. And we're seeing more and more people feel that they're shut out of the justice system. Again, I realize a lot of this is run at the provincial level because we're talking about civil issues, but you know, criminal as well. My question to you, Minister Lametti, is why is it so difficult to have a meaningful debate in this country about properly resourcing the justice system when we are a country of the rule of law, we, we, we wear that emblem with pride, but why is it so difficult to talk about it when access to legal services is an issue that obviously affects a great number of Canadians? It is a challenge, uh, and it's a political one. Uh, as someone who has to fight for resources around the cabinet table, I, I can tell you that it's tough. And that gets replicated at every, you know, at every provincial uh, and territorial uh, budgetary table as well. So it, it is, it is the reality uh, of our political system. I certainly, I certainly understand uh, the challenge of legal aid. It's not, it's not just civil. You're right. It's criminal. A lot of immigration uh, legal aid. And I'm also aware of the acute impact that COVID has had on. Uh, certain funding mechanisms like the Foundation Law Foundation in Ontario and so the drop in revenues as a result of the, the market hit has resulted in, in less money that traditionally went to, to legal aid funding. So I, I understand that. There's also different mechanisms. The way the way legal aid is run in Ontario is very different from the way legal aid is run in Quebec. And so there is a there there are different funding models, different payment models. But that being said, you're critically correct to say that it is a fundamental access to justice issue that the people who have recourse to legal aid are the people who most need it and, and perhaps most need the justice system. And so uh, the protection of it or, again, the ability to, the ability to, to seek uh, reparation in, in, in civil cases and that sort of thing. I understand how critically important it is. I understand how much of an access to justice issue. I do my best to obtain those resources. But I think you've put your finger on the fact that we perhaps need 
as a society to prioritize uh, these kinds of resources more than we have in the past. And that's true at every level, every level of government, uh, as well as the federal government. And, and just also in society, we need, to, we need people to realize that access to justice is critical. And one of the key parts, key components of access to justice is, is uh, adequately funded legal aid. Vivin Salmon, you know, I know the CBA has looked at this from the vantage point of we need to think of legal aid as a, almost part of the social safety net. Can you can you help us understand that? Yes. <laughs> In any three year period, we have done some statistics. Almost half of Canadians will have some kind of legal issue, and I would say it would be maybe even lower in a lifetime that almost every single person in a lifetime will have to access the justice system in some way, whether you're getting a divorce, whether um, you need to go to a small claims court, there's always going to be something that's life. And so I think the challenge comes when our system is not functioning correctly, that people feel that they can't access lawyers then they become self-litigants, which becomes a challenge for our justice system as a whole, definitely for judges in terms of um, doing their role and in a way, I would say, babysitting self-litigants, which is not correctly their role to play in the system. And I think a general understanding for people to understand that at least $800 million is probably the cost that it costs the state each year when we're not investing in the system properly. And I think when you look at it even more, like everything in life, everything is intersected. The whole world is interconnected. The whole legal system is interconnected. And so by that, when we don't invest in um, the justice system as we should. I think I had mentioned the statistics earlier that for every dollar spent on legal aid services, it saves about $6 in other social services. And so, you know, that for a lot of people, when they're not able to access the system, they, they don't spend um, money in other areas or they just let their problem bubble and bubble and bubble and bubble. And then by the time they get to a lawyer, maybe they're bankrupt. Um, you know, which then perhaps leads to other social problems where people are depressed, they commit suicide, all these, all these things that are really difficult that society as a whole bears the cost. So I know um, back in the fall, we, as this Canadian Bar Association, we had our hashtag Legal Aid Matters campaign, and we were grateful for the support from other lawyers across the country, as well as our 36,000 members from across the country, where we called on the government to um, have more sustainable legal, legal aid funding. And I know um, investments were made. I guess what we're saying is lawyers who are in the forefront of, this, of the justice system and on the front lines, really, is that we need Canadians to recognize how complex um, the system is, how intertwined it is, and how important it is for everybody to have access to justice and to feel that when they have a legal problem, that they can go and get the, the services and the justice they need to ensure that their other problems don't expand into catastrophic problems. Minister Lametti, uh, you know, I'm, I'm wondering from your vantage point, uh, have, has the pandemic in any way changed the government's view or accelerated the government's view to thinking of justice more holistically uh, in terms of it being a, a social issue? 
Well, I, th- I think there are a number of issues that have come up as a result of the pandemic, court delays and that sort of thing that have forced a, a great deal of discussion. The issue that I just mentioned on legal aid certainly has has focused some minds in, you know, not just the Justice Department, but I, I would hope uh, the Finance Department and around the rest of the cabinet table, um, as well as the really physical, technological investments that we have to make in, uh, we have to help the provinces to make in particular in the administration of, of their courts, particularly in a world where COVID hasn't disappeared. We need to have a, a way, and this is what the action committee is actually doing a great deal of in terms of collecting best practices and setting out guidance documents, but we need to have a way to um, allow for the health of all participants in the system from uh, you know the people running the building, the janitors and the cleaners, and the and the and the, uh, the food service staff, to security, to uh, court participants, to the actual litigants, to the judges. Uh, we need we need a way for all of them to be safe um, while uh, dispensing justice and and going through uh, the kinds of procedures that are necessary. So all this has really come to light. I think it's helped people understand the complexity of the justice system uh, and I think it's helped people to understand that this is this is very very important and that uh, particularly with the delays that that have obviously happened as a result of COVID uh, that we we have some challenges and, and we're going to need to we're going to need to keep cooperating uh, at all levels in order to to get through the other uh, issue I want to bring up is are these the, the recent global protests over uh, racial issues and that have shed all, a lot of light on racial justice. So last week, as part of this series of episodes on our justice system, we had a lawyer over. His name is Joshua Sealing Harrington. He's a young lawyer. He was giving a he was giving a critique of of, uh, of criminal justice, uh, explaining that it was socially constructed in a way that marginalizes certain communities, uh, people of color, indigenous people, and obviously there's a lot of evidence of uh, unfair treatment throughout the criminal justice system, from contact with police to sentencing. Uh, issues to deal with bail, parole, all these kinds of important components of our justice system. You, as Minister of Justice, must must be giving some thought to uh, how we need to address that so that racialized groups and Black communities, Indigenous people, see that the justice system also belongs to them. Where are you at with that now? Let me just begin by saying that it is simply true and utterly shameful that if you are a Black Canadian or if you're an Indigenous Canadian or a racialized Canadian, you are more likely to get stopped by the police. That if you get stopped by the police, you are more likely to have that contact end in an arrest. That if you are arrested, you're more likely to have charges proceed. And that charges proceed, you're more likely to end up with a conviction and uh, and a conviction with incarceration. It is it, it, it over uh, representation in the in the uh, criminal justice system of Black Canadians, of Indigenous Canadians, uh, and of other racialized Canadians is absolutely shameful, and we need to we need to fix it. And so the the recent protests that have happened have have shone a great deal of light in Canada because we have we have a, a problem of systemic racism in Canada in the in the, the criminal justice system. And we all have a responsibility to try to fix it. As, as Minister of Justice, I'm trying to work on reforms within my bailiwick. So obvious things that are obvious that, that have been suggested that I am looking at, the minimum mandatory penalties and the disproportionate impact that they have on uh, Black Canadians, on Indigenous Canadians. 
conditional sentences as an option, investing in uh, investing in more community justice oriented programs so that whether they be restorative justice, whether they be urban programs to help uh, help kids in gangs uh, to get out of gangs and to get out of guns. There is a, a great deal, a great body of evidence that exists. Improving the quality of GLADU reports uh, and improving the coverage of GLADU reports and perhaps extending GLADU reports to other marginalized groups in, in Canadian society. So all, all these things are on my radar screen. It is also a matter of me as a member of cabinet uh, and as a member of parliament convincing my colleagues around the table. So, so the public security minister has a great deal of responsibility to deal with policing uh, and, and making our policing better. Perhaps looking with the Minister of Health uh, at treating a number of different issues, not as not as criminal justice issues or as crime issues, but as health issues, uh, in order to keep people from entering the criminal justice system at the outset. Um, all the incarceration questions, again, that fall under the, the, the public security minister's uh, responsibilities. And then also as a member of parliament and as a member of cabinet to, to work on this what causes crime? Poverty causes crime. Mental health, uh, better support for mental health, better housing. If, if we attack uh, and, and, and fundamental racism in society, just as a general, uh, as a general, um, if, if, we've, if we value and validate people and if they have a roof over their head and they have, and they have access to, to, to medical health services and mental health services, we're going we're to have a lot less people in the criminal justice system. And I think that's, that's really ultimately where, where we need to push. But we do need, I do need, to, as, a, as a Minister of Justice, to push for concrete measures within the criminal justice system itself. Uh, Vivian Salmon, uh, there's also, uh, and you may wish to weigh in on on this on the criminal component, but there's also a civil a civil component to involving community based organizations. How do we redesign, redesign the system where we can manage some of people's legal problems before they get to court? Well, I think situating it again in its bigger context. When I was listening to Minister Lametti, I feel like. So much is on his shoulders, and I feel like in a way, should it really be? Because I feel so many of these issues, right, are in terms of colonialism and systemic racism. It's not solely within the justice system. It's in the broader community as a whole and the the broader society as as a whole. Whether we're speaking about residential schooling or slavery or all these things, fast forward, um, there's still elements that are institutionalized in our in our system and I think I was reading somewhere they were saying that the reparation in terms of you know this this the legacy of slavery the slaves were never paid for being slave or compensated is actually the slaveholders and it was I think about four years ago where some of those debts were finally paid off so what it amounts to is that most people don't realize that there's very things that individuals aren't responsible for, but there's certain things that are baked into the system that it takes more than one person to dismantle it. And so I think that, yes, we need things in the civil system. We need to talk about things like restorative justice. We need to be innovative to think outside the box. We need to use more use of pardons and things for that petty crimes do not clog up our system. You know, we have so many backlogs and, and we're fighting for access to justice, yet perhaps we're criminalizing things that don't need to be criminalized, as an example. 
Um, on the civil side, I think it's the same thing, quite frankly, that we don't want as a society be investing resources. And by that, I also mean people resources in terms of a system that is, I wouldn't say it's broken, but fundamental things need to change so that we have at the end of the day, I think one is system that we all can believe in and we all believe we can get justice in because I fear on the extreme, if people don't believe in a system, then it's a method of vigilante justice where I feel like the rule of law breaks down in, in society. And that I feel is a fundamental principle of our democracy, which I think all lawyers and I think all Canadians should be very concerned about. Minister Lametti, uh, there's a lot of talk these days about defunding of police. And uh, I think it's a term that means a lot of things to a lot of different people. To some people, it means shifting resources from policing institutions to more community-based ones again. How, how is your government uh, approaching this issue? I mean, this, you must have had conversations with your colleagues about this. Well, look, back in back when I was an academic, I did a little bit of administrative law, and uh, and people were talking about restructuring government. We had a saying which was, uh, "Deregulation is re-regulation." Look, all, all defunding means is, as from a government perspective, is where are you best employing your resources? As Vivine has just said, I don't think anybody. I think we want to have a really good, robust justice system based on the rule of law. That policing will be a part of that. But on the other hand, what, what, linking it back to what I'd said earlier, if, if the better use of resources is not an extra police officer, but an extra health worker on the ground, or an extra mental health facility, or a mental health outreach program, or an addiction program for problematic addiction, if, if, if the resources are better spent there because they're actually health problems, for example, or poverty problems or other kinds of, uh, of of social challenges. Of course, we need to look at where the money's best spent, and we need to we need to be innovative and creative and, and try to figure out how to uh, how to balance uh, all these competing needs. So, defunding is a, currently a, a buzzword, but as a as a challenge to how to figure out the best way to attack social problems, I, I think it's a, a perfectly legitimate challenge. We're running up uh, against uh, the end of this interview. I'd like to ask you both, if there's one aspect you would like to see uh, the different stakeholders of the justice system really focus on, again, with the, with the goal of making our justice system more accessible and fair to all, wh what would it be? Well, I could probably sit here talking to you all day. But <laughs> you, get, you get one. <laughs> <laughs> if I had to pick one, and this is not, I would say, necessarily the CBA's view, but my personal view, I think we must invest in technology. We can't have lawyers running across town having to file things in person. We can't have people trying to see their lawyer and, and they're spending like an hour on the subway to get there. Like from what I feel um, COVID is teaching us, I wouldn't say taught us because I don't think we're finished with this pandemic yet, but is teaching us is that technology is already here. We have so many resources that can do so much. I know on the art task force, we had Karen Altus, who's a professor at University of Ottawa in their law and technology program. And it was so fascinating to have her here. And at the end of the day, I think technology is tied into access to justice. It's tied into how lawyers do their job, therefore how they perform helping them perform better for clients, helping us serve the rule of law more efficiently. I personally think technology is at the heart of how we do things. And 
as Professor Altus had told us in our last task force, there's also a negative element that we also have to look at in terms of who's controlling technology, even when we fund things and perhaps down the road, we're going to ask um, the folks where, where David Lametti works to fund things more and develop more technology. Who owns the technology and are we leaving that into the private hands of these big corporations and yet we're government and societal. So I think there's a lot of issues to go through, but fundamentally, I think this is the way the world works now. And we're not going to be able to go back in terms of a way doing things differently. Um, we have to do things efficiently, but at the same time, we have to preserve the open court principle and we have to preserve the rule of law. Minister Lametti, uh, what, what would you like to see uh, happen? Well, I, I was I was going to actually agree with every single word that Dean just said. Uh, so, and I do that. So, I, I think I think she's absolutely absolutely right. Uh, but let me let me then use this opportunity since she's answered the question for me in in much more eloquently than I could have. Uh, let me say that we we all have a we all can play a role in getting a more diverse bench right away. So, I encourage anybody to apply, particularly people from racialized communities, from indigenous communities. We're getting better. Our numbers are getting better, but we can do so much more if people will step up and apply. So yes, technology is the way to go, but here's, here is something that we can all do. Encourage your friends, encourage uh, uh, people who, are, who might not otherwise think that they're qualified to apply for the bench, to apply for the bench. And again, particularly from, uh, particularly from uh, racialized uh, community groups, the bench has to look like us uh, in order to, to dispense uh, justice that is meaningful. I thank you very much. And that concludes our interview. Uh, I've been speaking with the Minister of Justice and uh, Attorney General of Canada, David Lametti, and CBA President Vivine Salmon. Thank you both for joining us. Uh, thanks for taking the time to speak with us and our listeners. Thank you very much. Thank you, Vivine, and thank you, Eve. If you enjoyed this conversation, you can listen to our previous episodes of After the Pandemic, a conversation about the future of justice. You can hear them on our CBA channel, The Every Lawyer, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. And to hear some French, listen to our Juriste Branché podcasts. Now, we also want to hear your views about what changes need to happen in our justice system and in the legal profession. Where do you think the key players need to focus their energies and how do you suggest we overcome some of the challenges we've discussed? Let us know on Twitter at CBA NatMag and on Facebook. Finally, I would like to thank everyone who helped me put these conversations together, our guests, but also the folks at CBA Futures for their guidance. I'm talking here of Martin Boucher, Jean-Philippe Couture, Aviva Rotenberg and Léane Plamondon. Also, my CBA colleague, Kim Covert, who gave me some editorial advice, and especially our podcast editor, Anne-Catherine Desulmé, who's done a terrific job at making us sound the best we can in these COVID times. Thank you all. Thank you.